0: Well, this morning, our main Bible reading is 1 Kings 22. And it says this. For three years, Syria and Israel continued without war. But in the third year, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, came down to the king of Israel. And the king of Israel said to his servants, Do you know that Ramoth Gilead belongs to us? And we keep quiet and do not take it out of the hand of the king of Syria. And he said to Jehoshaphat, Will you go with me to battle at Ramoth-Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, Inquire first for the word of the Lord. The king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said to them, Shall I go to battle against Ramoth Gilead, or shall I refrain? And they said, Go up, for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not here any another prophet of the Lord of whom we may inquire? And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord. Micaiah the son of Imlah, but I hate him, for he never prophesies, prophesies good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, Let not the king say so. Then the king of Israel summoned an officer and said, Bring quickly Micaiah the son of Imlah. Now the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, were sitting on their thrones, arrayed in their robes, at the threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria, And all the prophets were prophesying before them. And Zedekiah, the son of Kenanah, made for himself horns of iron and said, Thus says the Lord, with these you shall push the Syrians until they are destroyed. And all the prophets prophesied so and said, Go up to Ramath-Gilead and triumph. The Lord will give it into the hand of the king." And the messenger who went to summon Micaiah said to him, Behold, the words of the prophets, with one accord, are favorable to the king. Let your word be like the word of one of them, and speak favorably. But Micaiah said, As the Lord lives, what the Lord says to me, that I will speak. And when he had come to the king, the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall we refrain? And he answered him, Go up and triumph. The Lord will give it into the hand of the king. But the king said to him, How many times shall I make you swear that you speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? And he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains, as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master, let each return to his home in peace. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell you that that he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? And Micaiah said, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and all the host of heaven standing beside him on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will entice Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth-Gilead? And one said one thing, and another said another. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord, saying, I will entice him. And the Lord said to him, By what means? And he said, I will go out, and will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, You are to entice him, and you shall succeed. Go out and do so. Now therefore, behold, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these your prophets. The Lord has declared disaster for you. Then Zedekiah, the son of Canaan, came near and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, How did the spirit of the Lord go from me to speak to you? And Micaiah said, Behold, you shall see on that day when you go into an inner chamber, to hide yourself. And the king of Israel said, Seize Micaiah and take him back to Ammon the governor of the city and to Joash the king's son. And say, Thus says the king, put his fellow, this fellow in prison and feed him meagre rations of bread and water until I come in peace. And Micaiah said, If you return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, Here all you peoples So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat the king of Judah went up to Ramoth- Gilead and the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, "I will disguise myself and go into battle, but you wear your robes and the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. Now the king of Syria had commanded the 32 captains of his chariots fight with neither small nor great but only with the king of Israel when the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat, they said, It's surely the king of Israel. So they turned to fight against him. And Jehoshaphat cried out. When the captains of the chariots saw that it was not the king of Israel, they turned back from pursuing him. But a certain man drew his bow at random and struck the king of Israel between the scale arm and the breastplate. Therefore he said to the driver of his chariot, Turn round and carry me out of the battle, for I am wounded. The battle continued that day, and the king was propped up in his chariot, facing the Syrians until at evening he died. And the blood of the wound flowed into the bottom of the chariot. And about sunset a cry went through the army, every man to his city and every man to his country. So the king died and was brought to Samaria, and they buried the king in Samaria. And they washed the chariot by the pool of Samaria, and the dogs licked up his blood. And the prostitutes washed themselves in it according to the word of the Lord that he had spoken. Now the rest of the acts of Ahab, all that he did in the ivory house that he built, and all the cities that he built, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Ahab slept with his fathers, and Ahaziah, his son, reigned in his place. Jehoshaphat, the son of Asa, began to reign over Judah, in the fourth year of Ahab, king of Israel. Jehoshaphat was 35 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 25 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Azabah, the daughter of Shili. He walked in all the way of Asa, his father. He did not turn aside from it, doing what was right in the sight of the Lord. Yet the high places were not taken away, and the people still sacrificed and made offerings on the high places. Jehoshaphat also made peace with the king of Israel. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoshaphat and his might that he showed and how he warred, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the king of Judah? And from the land he exterminated the remnant of the male cult prostitutes who remained in the days of his father Asa. There was no king in Edom. The deputy was king. Jehoshaphat made ships of Tarshish to go to Aphir for gold. But they did not go, for the ships were wrecked at Ezion geber Then Hazar, the son of Ahab, said to Jehoshaphat, Let my servants go with your servants in the ships. But Jehoshaphat was not willing. And Jehoshaphat slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David, his father. And Jehoram, his son, reigned in his place. Ahiazah, the son of Ahab, began to reign over Israel and Samaria in the seventeenth year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. And he reigned for two years over Israel. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and walked in the way of his father, and in the way of his mother, and in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. He served Baal and worshipped him, and provoked the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger in every way that his father had done. Well, in a moment we're going to have a look at that passage, but let me just mention uh, a few things. The first Let me warn you that question time is coming up so you know that it's coming up and you can be thinking of a question you might like to ask. Um, I'll also mention the sermon outline which is in your handout which you can use or not to your liking. And then finally, let's ask God to help us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, We do thank you for the opportunity we have this morning to spend time with one another reflecting on your word. We do thank you that we can be confident in your word because you are the creator. And it was through your word that you created the world. And therefore your word is true. What you say happens. We need not worry because you've shown time and time again both uh, in redemptive history that what you say happens. And therefore, as your people, we have nothing to fear. We pray, Lord, that we reflect the reality of that confidence that we can have because of the truth of your word and the promises that you make. Amen. Well, what is the last chapter of 1 Kings all about? We could get quite excited by it. After the kingdom of Israel was divided back in 1 Kings 12, is this the point in the book where it's going to end with the two kingdoms coming back as one? As Jehoshaphat and Ahab unite and form this alliance. Well, maybe that's a little optimistic. Maybe that's what not that's not what One Kings Twenty Two is all about. Maybe we need to go a little bit deeper. But what about is the last chapter of One Kings about the importance of listening to God's word? Well, for the serious Bible student, that sounds a little bit more like it. The king of Israel doesn't want to hear God's word, and that's going to be his downfall. That really feels like it's got some mileage. But then actually maybe that doesn't quite hit a spot either. What about if we have a look at what it says in verse 37 to 38. It says this. So the king died and was brought to Samaria. And they buried the king in Samaria. And they washed the chariot by the pool of Samaria. And the dogs licked up his blood. And the prostitutes washed themselves in it according to the word of the Lord that he had spoken. It seems that the last chapter of 1 Kings 22 is quite simple. It's simply a fulfilment of God's word. That word which is found back in chapter 21, verse 19. This is... um, It says this, and you shall say to him, thus says the Lord, have you killed and also taken possession? And you shall say to him, thus says the Lord, in the place where dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick your own blood. So back in 1 Kings 21, what we looked at last week, Ahab, the king of Israel, has killed Naboth. And so God condemns Ahab to death. And the outcome will be, his blood will be licked up by dogs. So whatever else we're going to glean from 1 Kings 22, its primary purpose is the fulfillment of that word. Yet, having said that, quite a lot happens before we arrive at the demise of Ahab. So let's have a look. Now, one thing that we may not notice—you may or may have not noticed—is the absence of Ahab in chapter twenty-two. That's not to say Ahab doesn't feature. Obviously, he's prominent. But what we do notice is his name doesn't feature. Throughout the account of his demise, he's only ever referred to as the king of Israel. So for whatever reason, as we get to 1 Kings 22, the author now refuses to use Ahab's name. But in contrast to this, we hear an awful lot of the name Jehoshaphat. Now, at this point in the narrative, I don't think we know that much about Jehoshaphat. And all that we do know is found back in 15 verse 24, where he's very briefly introduced. We know from there that his father was a good king. And Asa, who was his father, had been at war with Israel. Whereas here we begin to see that Jehoshaphat is going to form an alliance with Israel. Now, the significance of this alliance isn't really explored. There's no comment made by the narrator as to say whether it's a good alliance or whether it's a bad idea and it's something they shouldn't have done. But this brief alliance may cause us to think about those two divided kingdoms, the southern the northern, and how one day they will be united. But with Ahab at the odds, uh, complete odds with God, we know that this isn't going to be the union that we're anticipating. Now we might question the wisdom of Jehoshaphat. Is it a good idea for him to join with Ahab? Is it the wrong alliance for him to make? Does it betray a naivety on his part? But in some respects, all these probably end up missing the point. Instead, maybe we should ask, what role does Jehoshaphat play, however unwittingly, in bringing about the fulfilment of God's word? And Jehoshaphat's role seems to revolve around his insistence that before the two kings go to battle they must first inquire of Yahweh. It's this thing that he will not compromise on. But what's odd about it is he never really acts according to what he hears. That is to say, in the end, Jehoshaphat happily goes to war with Ahab, regardless of what the prophet of God has has said. Now maybe the answer to that is simply, he's made himself wholeheartedly Ahab's servant. We see that back in verse 44. Sorry, verse 4. And he said to Jehoshaphat, Will you go with me to battle at Ramoth-Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. Jehoshaphat's already said he'll follow Ahab. But even though he's going to follow him regardless, he does still expect Ahab To listen to what the Lord has to say. So on this request, Ahab first seems to call his own prophets. Have a look what they first say in verse 6. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said to them, Shall I go to battle against Ramoth-Gilead, or shall I refrain? And they said, Go up. For the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. There are two things missing from this prophecy. The first is Yahweh. Take a closer look at the end of verse 6. What do you notice about the word Lord? If it helps, compare it with verse 7, where the word Lord also appears. You have in verse 6, capital L, lowercase ORD. If it was capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, then it would be Yahweh. It isn't a surprise that Ahab hasn't called Yahweh's prophets that's the first thing that's missing the second thing that's missing is clarity the prophecy only says the Lord will give it to the king but it doesn't say which king the answer is left ambiguous it could mean the Lord will give it to the king of Syria thus this prophecy stands to be fulfilled but Ahab takes it on face value and he's ready to go But Jehoshaphat, he's not satisfied. He asks that another prophet be brought. Maybe this time one of Yahweh's prophets. And so they await the arrival of Micaiah. As they await, the two kings are treated to a performance. Now, let's have a look at, Verse 10. Play close attention to this. It says this. Now the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, were sitting on their thrones, arrayed in their robes at the threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria, and all the prophets were prophesying before them. Here we have this imagery of two great kings sat on their thrones, They are said to be arrayed in their robes. They're surrounded by prophets. This picture is going to be important in a minute. The prophets then, this time, they speak on behalf of Yahweh. And the message they have is that God will give Ramath Gilead into the hand of the king. Meanwhile, the messenger is picking up Micaiah, and Micaiah is being urged to ensure that his message aligns with the other prophets. Which Micaiah does, with just enough sarcasm for Ahab to see through his efforts. And so, in verse 17, Micaiah speaks his actual prophecy. He says this, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains, as sheep that have no shepherd, And the Lord said, these have no master. Let each return to his home in peace. There's quite a lot going on in this brief word. We would expect the death of the shepherd to be bad news. Particularly for the sheep. Because the absence of a shepherd puts the sheep in danger. Because they now have no one to protect them. And yet this isn't the message of the prophecy. The death of the shepherd is good news for the sheep. While the shepherd lived, the sheep were at war. But now the shepherd was dead. And the people could now return home to peace. Ahab was not a good shepherd. The people were better off without a shepherd rather than have one. Like Ahab. Ahab hears the prophecy, expected nothing less from Micaiah, and to hell's Jehoshaphat just as much. But Micaiah hasn't finished. Let's pick it up at verse 19. And Micaiah said, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing beside him on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will entice Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth-Gilead? Here we come back to the imagery of verse 10. Ahab's prophet's speak to the two kings in all their glory. But Micaiah, he's on a different plane altogether. When he speaks, his message comes from the throne room of God. He has a vision of a throne that exposes these two kings as pathetic. Micaiah may have come from prison, And in a moment, we'll see he'll be returning there. But on a spiritual level, he is in communion with Yahweh. The message that Micaiah then gives the two kings is that everything their prophets have spoken is actually also a message from the Lord. And the message is intended to guarantee that the king of Israel does go to war, and to guarantee he does fall at Ramoth-Gilead. At this point, Yahweh has not left anything hidden from Ahab at all. Ahab has the full picture. And yet Ahab still goes to war. he does take some cautionary measures. Bizarrely, Jehoshaphat agrees to wear his royal robes, while Ahab disguises himself. But of course, it's silly. What sort of disguise is going to be able to fool God? In the end, it's an arrow that wasn't meant to be shot, it was shot by mistake, that somehow finds its way through Ahab's armor. It causes a wound that wouldn't have been fatal, but for the fact that the king's chariot was unable to escape the fierce battle. And so Ahab slowly bleeds to death. The blood is all collected in the bottom of the chariot, so that when the chariot is washed, the dogs lick up his blood. And as we read at the end of verse 38, according to the word of the Lord that he had spoken. We also see in verse 36, and about sunset a cry went through the army, every man to his city and every man to his country. Because the men are now without a shepherd. As they return to their country in peace. Because their shepherd is dead. At the very end of chapter 2. We have this very peculiar introduction to Jehoshaphat. I say it's peculiar. Because it comes after we've already met him. The whole chapter's been about Jehoshaphat, but it's only after that he's introduced. Maybe it's here because the author didn't simply just simply didn't want to interrupt the narrative of Ahab's account. Or maybe it's placed at the end for some greater significance. Jehoshaphat's introduction comes just before Ahaz- Ahaziah, the king of Israel. He follows in the steps of his father and Jeroboam, who made Israel to sin. But in contrast, Jehoshaphat is highlighted as a good king. Now, in one sense, he was a good king. That's all well and good. But of course there's every chance that one of his descendants will fail to live up to the standard of some of these earlier kings of Judah. So does it mean anything? Actually, maybe the reason Jehoshaphat is given his introduction here at the end of the book is because the promises of God that were given to David will be fulfilled through Jehoshaphat's lineage. That's why the book concludes with Jehoshaphat. Well, it's December, and the carol service is the beginning. And the words the angel spoke to Mary will be read out across the world. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God, and behold... You will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You should call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. The significance of what the angel says to Mary Depends upon our understanding of one Kings because Mary's son will be Jehoshaphat's descendant. Through him, the promises made to David will be fulfilled. He will reign over the house of Jacob, which means he will reign over a united kingdom, he will be a shepherd. The Good Shepherd. His death will bring peace for his subjects, but not because his absence will bring the sheep peace like Ahab, but because he will lay down his life for his sheep. His blood will be shed, and it will be by this blood that his people will be cleansed. You see, the message the angel gives to Mary is a thoroughly Jewish message. About the king of Israel reuniting his people as he obeys the Lord's word and rules over them as the good shepherd. But then it's the visit of the wise men. That's what brings a glimmer of what will come. Because the nations will come to worship the king of Israel the nations will come to seek refuge in him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this passage we find here in 1 Kings and how it anticipates the day when your promises will be fulfilled. We do thank you that you are slow to bring about your promises only insofar as that we can find out what you're like And you can continue to paint this picture of what your Messiah will achieve. We pray, Lord, this Christmas time we will take full advantage of all of that. All the things that we've learned from David and Solomon and the other kings that followed. To begin to appreciate what it is your Son, Jesus, will come, do and achieve. Amen. okay i said there'd be an opportunity to ask questions or make comments and that time has arrived any thoughts costs comments questions queries Yes, Nathan. Yeah, so um, just to repeat the question, or rather the comment. um, So yeah, we've got this Jehoshaphat, and then, so there's this sort of like a moment of hope, but then there's this, hang on a minute, there's Ahaziah, um, who sort of brings things down a little bit and helps us realise that we're not there yet, and there's still a bit to go. Yeah, and I think, and it's interesting as well, because I think we've said... I think it's one thing that Adrian commented uh, in an earlier sermon that the e- Ahasiah isn't Jeroboam's isn't from Jeroboam's lineage. The dynasty has now changed twice I think at least. So the whole family of Jeroboam was wiped out. I think Bash's family replaced it and was, that might have been wiped out as well. So there's at least one family wiped out and a new lineage started. Whereas in contrast, David's lineage lineage, lineage is protected because that's where God's promise is going to come through. We've also observed that Israel's kings—they're not. There is no. Um, there are no highlights. It's just getting worse and worse and worse. And so I guess as we anticipate picking up two kings, that's the direction we're going to see things continuing, we can assume. Um, but also if we know a little bit as well, we're going to see that Jehoshaphat's lineage lineage isn't going to be too great either. Um, but but this is the thing. This is why really I, I didn't want to make too much about the fact that Jehoshaphat was a good king because what does it matter if his descendant isn't? Um, ultimately, that's not where we put putting our hope. Our hope is in the promises that God has given to Jehoshaphat, to Jehoshaphat's son, and to his son, to his son. Any other questions, comments, thoughts? aqui Yeah, and I think I, mean, I do think the intriguing thing about Jehoshaphat is that the account. I mean, he's he's not really introduced. You know, he's he basically is just playing a part in Hayab's story. You know, he never gets his time to shine, as it were. So we don't really know much about Jehoshaphat, and he's got this odd alliance with Israel. And again, it's not that he it was, it was wrong to do it, or he wasn't right to do it, or because or, it's never commented on. But it's like. He's, he's not quite in. Yeah, it's it's he in himself is not where the hope's to be found because. What do we know about Jehoshaphat? Um, not a right lot, really. Okay. One more question. I say, well, no one's asked the question really. They've just been really making comments. Oh, Simon. Yeah, I think it's time to move on. <laughs> 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 no, go on. What prophecy? <laughs> Yeah, good question. So, um, I guess, particularly in verse 23, we've got the sort of conclusion of that section. Now, therefore, behold, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these your prophets. The Lord has declared disaster for you. So, yeah, I don't know. I think the best I could do is make a few observations. Interestingly, the commentators didn't want to talk about this. (laughs) Um and one of the things, I think one of the commentators sort of seemed to suggest that this, is, this didn't kind of happen. It's just this visionary of something that provides you with the sentiment of why things went the way they did. Which you think, well, that's a bit problematic, isn't it? Because here's Micaiah seeing the whole throne room of God and this is something that really didn't happen. Um, So it uh, it becomes a little bit difficult. Another comment simply says, well, clearly God doesn't lie, and then quoted a passage where he doesn't lie, so whatever's happening, that's not happening here. So I kind of feel very much like this isn't particularly satisfactory. Not that what I'm about to say is going to be any more satisfactory, but here goes. Um, So, I I mean, I think, I guess a couple of things that we've got is this sense that... um, if we kind of start to put a few parameters around what we can say and therefore what we can be sure of. So one of the things is, of course, that God's word is true. He's not going to lie. That's kind of quite important and at the forefront of that. Um, Another thing, I guess, is that Ahab surrounded uh, surrounded himself by prophets that say what he wants to hear. So that's no surprise that they're saying what he wants to hear. So I guess you've got those two sort of... And then you've got the sense in that that doesn't mean that these prophets are outside of God's sovereignty, so he can't use those prophets and cause them to say, what they are going to say anyway? Because they're always going to say, go to war, because that's what Ahab wants to hear. So that's kind of the sort of realm that we're in there. I think the other thing that's worth... um, making a lot of is the fact that God tells him that about the lie so you know in one sense he tells the truth about the lie in the sense that there's a deception a deception gone on but he reveals that deception so really Ahab isn't in a position where he's missing some of the information it's all there for him And Ahab still acts and still um, does what he will do. Um, And then I guess there's there's that other, as another sort of parameter, is that ultimately God can... I guess we've got this problem. If God can only use the good that we do and cannot use the deception that we do, then God ceases to be sovereign. So God can work through our deception, um, and God can work through. I mean, He's He's kind of got to. He's working through sinners all the time, anyhow. Um, so there's that sense in that for God to work sovereign and to bring a, bring about His plans, like this example, He is causing them to say the lie yeah. that they're saying that actually they will when they won't. So as I say, um, I don't think we're, you know, I think they are some parameters that we want to be working in. We don't want to say that God does lie, and therefore he just sends out willy-nilly lying. You know, he's, he's not compromised his truth by doing what he's done. Um, so by putting up those parameters, they're the sort of things that we don't want to move outside of. Um, but I don't know whether I've got anything much more helpful to say. Aging are you thinking, I know what to say. Why don't you ask me? Stop talking and ask me. <laughs> no. Theo, did you have a question? Or was you, were you just putting your hand up? No, you don't have a question. I thought he had his hand up for you. Okay, we'll leave it there. Um, but I, I mean, I think that's one of the questions that we're going to keep returning to. And I do think it's one of those things where if you have it in the back of your mind and you keep revisiting it, um, and, you know, you reading, as we read the text, you start to see it's not worrying me quite as much as what it did do back then. And I'm starting to think, OK, yeah, so this is how God's working. and That's not problematic for me because I'm beginning to sort of, you, you just start to understand it. You can't quite explain it necessarily, but it starts to all fit in, I think. but Yeah, let's leave it there before I say something I shouldn't say. Okay, we're going to sing, and we're going to sing The Lord's My Shepherd.